With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everybody, to Best and More Talk Radio. I'm your host, uh, Steve, along here with Kyle Robinson and De- Dennis Ogle. On tonight's show, we'll be talking with Tim Cook, who is the Texas Bass Federation Nation Conservation Director. Then we'll be giving our post-Bassmaster Classic wrap-up. And I guess we'll know what we'll talk about then, and that is uh, whether KBD is the best in the bass fishing world. Um so let's just get right into this here i'm gonna bring tim in tim how you doing doing great steve thanks for having me on tonight um no problem no problem we really appreciate you uh taking time out of your uh busy uh day to stop by and talk a little bit of uh conservation with us so tell us a little bit about the conservation director job what what does that all entail well, I'll tell you, uh, the, the Federation Nation has a long history of a conservation program. Um, I have colleagues in about 48 other states. We're all volunteers. Um, we come from all walks of life. We're all anglers and uh, passionate about the sport and fishing. Um, you know, generally the conservation director um, is defined in each state probably, uh, you know, 48 different ways because we all have different talents skills and, you know, levels of involvement. Um, There's some of us out there who uh, retired, and I'm not one of those retired guys, but uh, right. there's some guys who commit just hours and hours and hours of, of uh, you know, volunteerism, you know, every year. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks um, understand conservation but really don't know what the nuts and bolts of it is. And, you know, it, it's everything from lobbying at your state capitol. Um, it's working with clubs and other anglers to do habitat conservation projects, certainly working with state agencies, you know, to help make sure their priorities are in line. But really the goal is, you know, to make fishing better today and for the future. Yeah, um, I mean, I know this has to take a lot of your time up, so, you know, the volunteer part of it. How, how did you uh, end up in the position of the conservation director? And when did you start doing that? I, uh, I started as um, the assistant conservation director in 2003. Uh, I was at a public hearing uh, about invasive species uh, in Austin, Texas, and uh, leadership from our Federation Nation showed up a little bit late, didn't have time to get signed up to speak, and uh, they asked me to speak on their behalf and did so. And, uh, you know, the quickest way to, to get recruited for something is to stick your hand up. So they, uh, they gave me a title. <laughs> well, that's one way to get it, huh? <laughs> yeah, that'll kind of teach you to volunteer too, right? <laughs> Absolutely. 
for sure, you know, and uh, it takes a while to get your feet on the ground when they uh, give you a job to do and, and don't really tell you how to do that job. you got to kind of learn uh, on the job. And uh, fortunately, you know, Bass has an extremely good mentoring program in which you take the new CDs and bring them on board and, and you know, we share our experiences and kind of, you know, make sure everybody knows what their priorities are. And then they, you know, Bass is excellent about giving you the resources and tools you need to do the job. Oh, great. Hey, Kyle, you got a few questions to ask, Tim? Yeah. Uh, Tim, on the – when it gets down to some of the nuts and bolts about what can people do, uh, be it members, fishermen, uh, that they can do to kind of help get the conservation issue moving at their local level. I know in our tournament one of the things that – in our bass club, one of the things that we do, we hold a lot of paper tournaments, and they're draw tournaments, and every fish is caught, measured, and released. I don't know if that's in, uh, if that's being done in uh, Texas or anything, but anything that you can think of, and the uh, that would be a good, great uh, thing for local people in their bass clubs to kind of help further the conservation issues. Absolutely, you know, and, and it can start at the smallest level. I mean, you know, for your tournaments, um, obviously, you know, those of us who, who believe strongly in catch and release, we want to do everything that we can to ensure that the fish that we catch can be released and, and truly caught again. And, um, you know, my club also holds paper tournaments uh, in the summer months when water temperatures get real high. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to have a minimal impact on the fishery. I mean, Lord knows a 10-pounder will never get to be a 10-pounder if he he dies you know in a tournament when he's three pounds so what would you say what's your top conservation issue would you say right now tim well you know it it, there's a lot of really important priorities um short term right now funding is a huge issue in every single state in this country here in texas you know our next uh, uh, budget cycle uh we're looking at about a 25 to 20 size Seven billion dollar shortfall. The legislature right now is meeting to try and close that gap a little bit, and uh, our Parks and Wildlife Department is facing some serious budget challenges. A lot of programs being cut. So, you know, and I know that's happening all across the country. So, certainly funding and making sure that our sportsmen's dollars are being used, um, you know, where they're supposed to go is really, really important. Something anglers should be aware of. Certainly there's other issues pertaining to habitat, lack of habitat, you know, in reservoirs across the country. Uh, Invasive species, you know, is a big issue, you know, some regions more so than others. In our area, zebra mussels is the big evasive uh, species thing. Plus, you know, we got the whole whole flying carp dilemma that is becoming (laughs) a huge issue over in Illinois and toward the Great Lakes, and it's going to be moving into Iowa waters really quick also so yeah no question and uh here in texas um and in certainly other parts of the country in the south uh, lack of water is a real important issue you know there's a lot of competing uses for the water that we have industry and agriculture and things of that nature and quite often fishing and recreation are way at the bottom of the list next to other terms of priorities for but dennis you got some questions for tim yeah, I got a, I got a couple here. Uh, 
Tim, uh, what do you say is the number one cause of habitat loss today? Uh, I'll tell you, it, it varies by reservoir. Um, without question, in lakes that, that have a lot of fluctuation <clears throat> due to use, water use, um, you know, western states, uh, you know, lakes can fluctuate even up, you know, 100 feet or more, uh, which almost makes it impossible to have good habitat. Um, you know, in the south, we have um, some invasive species like hydrilla, uh, which most anglers find to be um, beneficial for fish. Uh, a lot of times the competing uses, like homeowners associations, want to just wipe that vegetation out, which is definitely detrimental. You know, I, hey, around here we have a lot of lakes that get grass in them, and, and I always like, you know, that grass is a great place for bass to live and grow and get bigger. And they always seem like they want to come and kill it. I mean, is that the best thing to do with the grass at, at when it gets to that stage? Or is there something else that people could be doing instead of just coming in and trying to kill that grass like that? Yeah, you know, in, in Texas we fight this battle a lot. And Lake Conroe is probably one of the most notorious lakes for you know, competing uses and, and uh, vegetation management. We, we really believe that lakes should be managed with vegetation as opposed to trying to eradicate it completely. And, it, and it's nearly almost impossible to do. It's just it's so cost prohibitive in most cases. So, you know, we encourage um, ways of managing the aquatic vegetation, you know, for the homeowners. And instead of, um, you know, treating an entire body of water with herbicide, maybe only treating those areas of high recreational use around boat docks, around the boat ramps, and leave the more, um, you know, remote areas untouched. Right. Yeah, I mean, like I said, around here, they just want to kill it all because it makes the lakes look bad, I think. And it just, you know, then you start seeing fish floating, and it just, I, I mean, it just, I think it just comes to be a bigger problem than if they just tried to do a little bit here or a little bit there. Um, Andrew, do you have a question for Tim? Uh, Tim, for someone who wants to get involved in conservation, um, what is the best way to do that? I mean, should they, you know, try to start something with their local club? Should they contact their regional director? What do you recommend, and what do you think is the most important on a grassroots level? Well, if, if an angler is a member of a club, you know, um, one of the first things I'd suggest is they get on their state wildlife uh, resource management uh, website uh, here in Texas. That would be Texas Parks and Wildlife. And contact their local biologist. Um, their local biologist who is in charge of overseeing and managing the lakes that they fish is going to be the most knowledgeable about what the needs are. Uh, in a lot of cases, there's a lot of biologists that are looking for clubs to do habitat projects, brush pile projects, things of that nature. Um, as an individual, you know, if you're interested in getting involved with conservation, you can certainly do the same, contact your, your state agency. But um, the Bass Angler Sportsman Society has what they call the Angler Conservation Team. They can go on Bassmaster.com, go to the conservation page, there's actually a place where you can sign up and put your name on a list and have a, an organized project within your area. We'll actually contact you and give you the opportunity to volunteer. And that would also put you in touch with other anglers. And 
Okay. Um, let's let's turn the tables here a little bit. I want to talk about what's been in the spotlight here in these last few months, and that's lead in our fishing fishing equipment. I know there was a bill that was trying to be put out there to basically do away with it totally. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I'll tell you, I, I believe strongly in science-based management decisions, and also believe that that um, states, you know, have the right to manage their waters. And the issue with um, with lead and lead ban first came up when um, they started discovering migratory um, game birds dying of lead poisoning. And behold, they would find, um, you know, uh, lead shot from shotguns, not where they've been shot, but when they've been um, you know, scavenging around in gravel, they've been consuming the lead, and they would die of lead poisoning. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. So, so the environmental folks have been trying to um, to ban lead for some time now, and so they're really the only way lead is going to affect you know any living being is if they consume it. Um, right. Lead sinker dropped in the water doesn't dissolve, and the lead doesn't you know, filter into the whole water system. I mean, it has to be consumed. So the idea that a, you know, 5 8 ounce jig or a spinnerbait head or something like this is going to cause a problem, you know, is just a fallacy. So, you know, I believe strongly that, um, that lead, you know, can be safely used in fishing tackle. Okay. You know, I'm going to kind of play a little devil's advocate here. And, you know, shouldn't we, though, as fishermen and women you know, being stewards of our environment. I mean, we want to, you know, make sure the environment out there is, you know, safe for everyone, the animals as well as us. Without the animals, we're, we, we don't do anything, you know. So, you know, shouldn't we as, as individual anglers and hunters maybe try to find alternatives to lead? What do you feel about that? Well, I strongly feel that if the science became available that showed that lead fishing tackle was you know, detrimental to the environment, situations where you know it was just an exposure thing and not a consumption issue, with the lead. I'd be the first one to to stand up and, and uh, urge folks to not use lead in fishing tackle. But um, you know, really, the science just isn't there. Even the the anti folks can't come up with you know good hard evidence. Prove that it's causing a problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I fish. I mean, there's there's some alternatives to lead for throwing, you know, your uh, Texas rigs and that kind of stuff. But so far, for my for me personally, I haven't found a substitute that's as good as lead. I, I just don't see, you know, birds out there eating. I could see them eating maybe some buckshot. But I don't see them eating a half ounce lead weight. You know, I said, you know what I mean. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, in this whole lead debate, you certainly have to consider the hunters and ammunition as well. And I think there's room for compromise. You know, if um, if we could come up with a minimum diameter, you know, where um, minimum size to any lead shot or something. You know, maybe we could use the alternative for the smaller sizes, which could possibly be consumed by a living creature. You know, 
there's always room for compromise in these arguments, but unfortunately sometimes we're dealing with folks who have another agenda, which is really to see us not hunting fish at all. That, yeah, I, I believe that too. I, and I think that's their ultimate goal is to say, well, look at this. We need to just stop this totally, you know. But like they say about guns, it'll be, a, you know, they're going to have to pull my fishing rod out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> so. Absolutely. You there you go. And, uh, and I'll be honest, too. Um, I, I've actually taken to the tungsten uh, products uh, wholeheartedly. You know, there's a lot of advantages to to tungsten bullet weights when you're talking about a Texas rig. You can feel absolutely everything. But I don't want some government agency to tell me I, I have to use it. Right. Agree with you 100% there. Okay. Let's uh, turn our attention to something that gets debated all the time. People get very, very adamant about it. Um, I can, you know, talk about one specific moment several years ago when I had an old fishing forum and Kyle will back me on this I put out a let's do a chat on pre-spawn spawn and post-spawn fishing and I mean I just got slammed by a couple people with you know purse PMs how can you talk about fishing to spawn how can you talk about doing this while these fish are doing that and and you know i mean up here where i fish the water's usually muddy you can't tell they're on the beds and i try to tell the guy hey you know even though you don't think you're fishing a bed you know you probably are do you got some statistics on bed fishing or can you give us your thoughts on bed fishing well i don't have any specifics uh, on the tip of my tongue however i will say this you know uh, Bass, you know, there's a lot of them in our bodies of water, and even in a small pond. Um, and fish spawn successfully. They produce millions and millions of offspring and fry initially. And through natural selection, you know, eventually as the fish get larger, there's less and less of them. But each body of water has a specific carrying capacity. There's only so many bass that can live in any lake or any pond. And the influencing factors of that are habitat, forage, you know, um, obviously um, in a very small body of water, when you get a bunch of fish in there, they're all going to get stunted. They're all going to be the same size. Right. works. Well, you know, there, there, there's um, definitely some studies out there to, to back this up. But what it boils down to is the impact that anglers can have on that fish population fishing during the spawn is so minimal. Um, they're just they're it's just not going to have a detrimental impact on the overall fish population. Okay. I will say this: um, big fish are rare, and if every single angler out there kept a ten pounder out of their local lake, there would definitely be less ten pounders to be caught. I, and I agree with you one hundred percent. That that's a big problem that I have around my area is that. You get people out there with their bobbers and they catch a big bass and they think they've got something then they'll take it with them and you know that's why i kind of tell people hey you know i'd rather you catch a spawning bass put him back in the water or her back in the water than take a four pound or five pound bass and think you got something to put on a wall you know i think that hurts a, a, a fishery a lot more than you know any kind of uh, uh catching fish on a uh, bed 
you know, I will say that I would never, um, I would never tell somebody who who felt uncomfortable fishing during the spawn that what they're doing is wrong or that, you know, they shouldn't, you know, Correct. pay attention to those feelings. If that's your personal opinion, more power to you. It really shows you've got a conservation mindset. But um, certainly, if you get in and dig in around biologists and talk to them and look at the studies out there, you know, anglers have much less impact on on fish population, certainly during spawn. True. Okay. Um, Kyle, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah. uh, One more thing to add on to the whole uh, catch and release or fishing, uh, bedding bass and things like that. Uh, A lot of the people that do that, you know, actually, you know, they're catch and release fishing for the most of it, at least the serious people like us, the serious bass fishermen are. There are so much more that are taken out of the system by the meat fisher people or fishermen that if anybody should practice the catch and release, it's probably the uh, people that are fishing for some of the crappie or some of the bluegill that catch the big bedding bass, throw them back. and uh, So there's a lot of lakes around up here that may be just chock full of the little 12-inch bass. Them are the ones that they, some of them should keep and eat, but that's a whole other subject. But uh, one of the another thing that come up here, and uh, I know that we have all heard about Texas Parks and their shared longer program. Uh, I know myself; uh, I was doing a lot of fishing back in Texas in the '80s when the program started, and uh, I was actually been there when the truck showed up and picked some fish up once on Lake Fork and. Could you just talk a little bit about that, Tim? Oh, absolutely. The, the Texas Share Lunker Program has been so successful from many standpoints. Um, obviously, uh, you know, the, the collection of these big fish and then taking them back to Athens and trying to spawn them, um, the, the goal of this whole thing is to produce a world record bass, and we actually call it Operation World Record. And that's um, involved not only the Share Lunker Program, but they also actually have a geneticist on staff, and uh, they're able to take all of these bass and genetically mark them, and they can track uh, the, the, the different spawns and the fry and stockfish. They can actually tell which share lunker fish it came from. So the goal mm-hmm. here is to, um, you know, just like with deer and deer management in some parts of the country, we're, we're trying to genetic, genetically breed that world record bass. Wow, that that's really cool. How many how many uh, ten pounders or better have you uh, ran through the program so far? Well, I'll tell you, the share lunker runs through um, uh, from October until April, first of April. Um, I can't remember how many years the program's been in existence, but on the thirteenth of this month, number five hundred and eleven uh, was turned into the program, and that's thirteen wow. pound plus fish. Wow, really. That'd be- that's awesome. Now, do you, I mean, is what, what incentives do the people have to bring that fish in or, you know, I mean, I'm not sure how all that works. Do, do they catch it, put it in their live well and say, call somebody and say, Hey, you need to come get this fish or do they bring it into somewhere or how does that all work? You bet. There's an 800 number and I should have this 800 number committed to memory, but 
I yeah. unfortunately haven't caught one over 13 yet. So <laughs> <laughs> There's an 800 number that people can call day or night, anytime during the program, and um, a biologist from Athens or one of the other hatcheries will respond and come directly to you, regardless of what lake you're at in the state of Texas, and Texas is a big place, uh, and come pick that fish up. We also have some um, Sherilunker receiving stations, uh, some of the more distant lakes like Amistad and Falcon and Coke Canyon, where an angler can take that fish and, and put it in a good environment where it's going to be kept healthy uh, until the uh, hatchery truck can get there. Great. Wow, that, yeah, that's pretty cool. That That's really neat. I wish some of the, uh, you know, some other states would, you know, I know you guys are down there trying to do the world record. I kind of wish some of the northern states would even think about doing something like that, even for five-pounders for the people up north, just to try to help, you know, breed some bigger bass up here. I want to talk about your release tank that you have, the Texas Live release tank. Um, I know you, I've read that you started using it in two, 2010. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Texas Federation Nation, we put on about 40 events a year all over the state of Texas, and some of them pretty large. We'll have as many as 300 to 400 anglers fishing them, and we really want to take care of our fish. And One of the important tools that we have is a, is a live release trailer. It's a 1,000-gallon trailer. It was actually uh, designed with the help of Parks and Wildlife. Um, staying, uh, oh, about 800 pounds of fish uh, and keep them healthy for an extended period of time. We, uh, we had been working towards getting something like this for quite some time. We were fortunate that we received a grant from the Bass Angler Sports Society for $13,000. Purchased the trailer and, and get it rigged up the way we needed. And, um, and now we're really just in our first year of the program. Last year was more of a, a trial run thing, trying to figure out how to use it and what it cost us to use it. But this year I think we'll probably do somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 events and we hope to increase that down the road great right um okay hey dennis do you have anything do you want to ask tim yeah i was going to ask him if, if you've ever run into any opposition you know to your conservation you know efforts yeah absolutely um you know there's always conflict when you deal with folks who have different set of priorities anglers were kind of in the minority. Probably the most contentious situation we run into is involving, you know, the management of aquatic vegetation. And in the Lake Conroe area, you know, there's a very strong homeowners association that, that really doesn't want to see anything green in the water. And, uh, you know, we, we sat down and, and we formed a stakeholder group and we sat across the table from them and there were many, many lively debates. But, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, when everybody has the best interest lake at heart you know we were we were able to come up with you know a good plan to benefit all the users of lake conroe i know in other parts of the country there have been some situations where we've had some anti-fishing demonstrations and things of that nature but i've not run across anything like that in texas well on your resource managers the lakes there where you're at do you do you think they're misinformed or just overwhelmed when it comes to working with people well, in Texas, we're very fortunate in that we have a very proactive um, Parks and Wildlife Department who really do understand um, wishes of the anglers. I think they know who their constituents are. We have a lot of bi uh, biologists within the, the 
department who are very active tournament anglers as well, and that helps. And where we do run into conflict usually is, is in a situation where um, they're receiving a lot of pressure, elected officials, other folks with other priorities. General rule, I've, I've had a great success working with my state agency, uh, but I know that's not the situation in all states. Okay. I think one of the things Texas parks, and I've kind of followed it for a lot of years, they've always kind of been a leader, it seems like, when they come up with programs. Obviously, the Share Lunker program probably being the number one. They have a lot more anglers, you know, per capita in Texas than what you would in states like Iowa or maybe in Kentucky, where Steve lives, or Tennessee, where Dennis lives, and just the sheer number of anglers. What would you say if there was something other state conservation agencies, the number uh, one or two things that Texas does that some of these other states could do to kind of mimic what Texas Parks does? Well, I think um, when it comes to bath, you know, um, there needs to be more outreach and more working with agency uh, groups times, even in Texas, and years ago, there was almost uh, a level of animosity between anglers. Priorities seem to be different, but the course of the last 10 years or so, we've really opened the channels of communication and, and worked together. Uh, while agency folks are bureaucrats, um, most of them got into the, the line of work because they care about the resource, you know, and enjoy the resource biologist doesn't necessarily make a great communicator so when you can get both of those things together and folks working together it can really make a difference all right Andrew did you have another question for Tim <laughs> Andrew um Andrew might not be there so I, I got one I, I'd like to go ahead and ask if it's okay uh can you can you share something with us on this the Ocean Policy Task Force? What you know about it and what we need to be aware of? Well, I tell you, I'm drawing a blank on that one. I uh, don't have a lot of connection with the, uh, the saltwater folks, and there's only so many things I can pay attention to. <laughs> so I'm not okay. very uh, not very up on that subject. I'm afraid. But the reason I ask is because you know I I know it impacts Texas. Because of the, you know, it does impact some of the freshwater, like the Great Lakes and stuff. But Texas, being you know a coastal state, it's got a lot of impact. And I, I'm just, I'm concerned about it because I think it's going to bleed into the freshwater. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the uh, the no fishing zones uh, be a real concern to every angler. It doesn't have to be in your backyard. The fact that a precedent is being set in which an area um, you know, restricted to fishing, and not just commercial fishing, but recreational fishing, without good science to say that, that recreational fishing is impacting that fishery in a way. We let emotion and policy and uh, priorities of specific use, uh, specific, uh group of individuals influence policy like that without good science-based management really sets a dangerous precedent. 
one one thing that surprised me, and I was I was checking on this, doing a little bit of research on on this. Our, our state, I live in the state of Tennessee. Last year, they passed, they amended our constitution, our state constitution, to allow everybody to have the right to hunt and fish. Now, I was surprised that Texas had it, it didn't pass; it failed there. Is there any hope for that being revived or? I'm part of a group, the Texas Outdoor Partners, which is a coalition of about 68 uh, outdoor groups, uh, CCA, Ducks Unlimited, Bass Course, many other groups. Uh, we've debated this issue heavily, and we're, we're afraid to push the issue too much. You know, the anti-fishing establishment principal um, group behind this is actually the um, Humane Society of the United States. A lot of folks get that confused with their local animal shelter. and Everybody should know that the Humane Society of the United States doesn't run a single shelter. They've got millions and millions and millions of dollars in their war chest to protect animals. And they see fishing and hunting as a threat to all animals. Definitely would like to see us, uh, uh, you know, go away without a doubt. Sounds like we may see a greater presence of uh, PETA getting involved at the fishing level uh, on organized fishing events this year. Uh, I've read uh, quite a few things here in the last couple, three months about that where that's cropped up. So I didn't, it just kind of goes along with what you just mentioned, so I thought I'd mention that. Absolutely. PETA is kind of like the, the organization that always gets the press and the media attention. Ain't Society of the United States that's working behind the scenes, behind closed doors to get the right people elected, the right people in place to influence policy. That's the group we should be most. Yep. And the only way we'll ever change that is we've got to be the people to elect the people in there that we want that's not going to allow this to happen. You know, and it's getting worse and worse. And like you said, I agree 100%. And it was all over the internet earlier in the summer. Uh, I shouldn't say summer, but, well, I, I I should mean last summer. I'm sure everybody here had it when they passed that, I guess it was the new law or whatever it was for coastal and the Great Lakes. And like you said, I mean, eventually I can see them coming up here to my little local lake and say, well, you ain't allowed to fish there no more because of this or because of that. I mean, I think it's just crazy, you know. I, I, I think they should look at the fishermen and say, you know, look at what these guys are doing. I mean, most bass anglers are taking that fish, looking at it, take a picture of it, putting it back in, you know. And even the, you know, the major tournaments are doing everything in their power to keep those fish alive to make sure they get back to the lakes and, you know, continue on with their lives. So I think all that, you know, just we need to make sure we're getting the right elected officials into the proper positions to keep any more of this from happening. Yeah, no question. We need to be politically aware. We need to be aware of uh, you know, threats to our resource. We need to be involved with our state agency for sure. You know, and it, it is our angling dollars through license sales and wallet bro money, the sport fish tax, that pays for resource management and conservation. Without our money, you know, there, there, there would be... Uh, severe funding issue when it comes to state aid. 
Right. And, and come, come into conservation, you know, I mean, and the whole deal and, and, you know, taking care of these lakes and, and doing all the things that happen around these lakes, you know, we're paying for it. And I feel like we should be the ones that, you know, we can go up there and if we want to fish it, we can fish it. You know, I mean, here in Kentucky, fishing license are $20 a piece. You know, I fish, I have myself personally, I don't live in Texas where you live in a big state. I have three states around me. So I end up spending close to $100 in fishing license every year. And I willingly pay it. I, I you know, I buy a, my Kentucky license where I live. I buy Ohio license, which is another $40. And then I buy an Indiana license, which is another $35. So, you know, for these PETA and all these other places out there to say, you know, well, look, what, look at this or look at that, you know, it's like, wait a minute, I'm paying some good, good money here. And I'm doing more for the environment than you'll ever do. Bet. And, you know, as anglers, we, we, unfortunately are going to have to start doing more than just buying our fishing license we're going to have to be heard you know fishing in texas is a 6.6 billion dollar a year industry 44 billion dollar a year industry that is a huge huge dollar amount and that's unbelievable that's what 44 billion dollar a year industry um has so little representation across the country Right. Very few people fishing, you know, fighting for our rights, and we need to get more vocal. And be yeah. Well, one thing I, I discovered, I, I mean, I, I was doing some research on conservation for this show, and one thing that surprised me is that the angling community does more volunteer work than any of these activist groups that are organized and have the money behind them. And, I mean, it, I was astonished by that. But we yet we don't get the press for it or anything. We're not as flashy as all those. You know what I mean? I think that has a lot to do with it. These, you know, they get the, you know, so-called um, big names behind them. And, you know, you know, oh, look at this. Don't wear fur or don't do this or, you know, don't do that. And we're just, you know, fishermen, you know, and hunters and guys that like guys and gals that like to get out there and, and enjoy nature and, and interact with nature and whether that's fishing or hunting or anything like that, you know, everything's based on conservation. Our laws are based on it and, and it's just unbelievable what we actually do. And like you said, Dennis, we do a whole bunch where these people do very little and they get all the publicity. The other thing about, you know, the, the fishing community, I mean, it, there's one million jobs created by it. And there's over 60 million anglers, which is unbelievable. But, I mean, I know a big chunk of them don't step up and do anything. But overall, as a whole, we're doing pretty good. We just don't, like I said, we just don't get the recognition for it. Right. And I think Texas is doing a great job. You know, that yeah. Oh, yeah. Leaders. Yeah, and and everything that I've read, and that's why I was like wanting to get Tim on here because of everything I've read down there. It really, you know, like you said, they're in the forefront of this, and we need more of that. And and that's a little bit. This is our part here of Bass and More Talk Radio to get the word out and have people listen to this and and understand that there's a lot more going on from the fishermen, the hunters, and everybody else 
you know, towards conserving our natural resources than what is being told to other people. So, well, Tim, I'll tell you what, man, you know, this has been a great night. Um, we're going to still hang out and you're more than welcome to hang out. Um, do you got anything you need to promote or you want to save to, to finish off uh, your section here? Well, I just uh, want to say thank you for having me on. I sure do appreciate it. You know, um, anytime you want to discuss, um, you know, South Texas fishing or conservation, uh, I'd be happy to come back on for sure. And uh, well, for folks who want to learn more, obviously you can go to Bassmaster.com, go to the conservation page. Um, you can also find uh, Federation Nation conservation page on uh, Facebook as well. Quick Great. You know what? I do have one more question for you. Before you get out of here, what's your thought on Jerry McKinnis taking over uh, Bass? I think Jerry McKinnis and his partners have been the best thing to happen to Bass in a long, long time. I have seen such a renewed sense of energy, of passion. The classic coverage this year was just fantastic online. Bassmaster.com, their Facebook page. Um, new life in the organization and certainly from the conservation standpoint we've got our new conservation director who uh, is our former conservation director Noreen Clow really doing a, a good job at getting us back on track and, and I'm just very excited I, I think the future of bass is looking very bright yeah we had him on here um, it's been probably a couple weeks ago and he was just amazing you know and, and he explained a lot about you know, the ESPN years and, you know, that ESPN really didn't mean to do some of the things. They just didn't know how to do it. You know what I mean? They just didn't know how to run a organization like Bass. It, it, it was really eye-opening. He was really great. Absolutely. If you get a chance, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to it, but if you get a chance, check check our archives, our, our website or the uh, Facebook page, and you can see that on there. He had a lot of good things to say. Definitely do that, absolutely. And Did again, you guys happen to watch, uh, I was watching the Bassmaster.com uh, live feeds from the Classic. Yeah. Why, when why they had... oh, Kyle, hold on one second, and we're, okay. we're, we'll, we'll end here with Tim. And Tim, you're more than welcome to hang out, and we're going to... Um, Switch over here to start talking about the uh, Bassmaster Classic. Um, it's it's totally up to you what you want to do, Tim. Uh, if you want to, if you have to get going, that's fine. If not, you're more than welcome to hang out with us. Hey, I really appreciate the opportunity. I would, but I've got my kids just showed up uh, with my parents, so I better let you go. But yeah, all right, I really appreciate the opportunity, and I I would uh, welcome the opportunity to be back, and I'll uh, I'll definitely uh, jump on as a caller here sometime soon. Great. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be actually next week. We'll be talking with Dean Rojas. I just secured him, uh, to be on the show next week. So yeah. And we'll definitely be getting back with you later on down the road. And you know, I, I, I'm hoping maybe to do kind of a conservation show, you know, maybe once or twice, uh, once every month or so, you know, maybe, you know, I, I don't know how it's all going to work out. That's still in the process, but I do want to keep that in the forefront, you know, and, and do shows like this. So we really appreciate you being here, Tim, and uh, you take care. All right. Thank you all so much. Take care. Have a good night. You Thank too. You,
All right, everybody, that was Tim Cook, who is the Texas State Conservation Director for the Bass Federation Nation. We really appreciate Tim being on tonight. Okay, now that we're done with that, hey, you guys want to talk some of this Bassmaster Classic, even though it's just us three here? I, I, I would really like to talk some of that. So um, is, is that good with you guys? Yeah, that's fine. All right. All I can say is, Ken Van Dam sold his soul to the devil. I'm here to make it. <laughs> <laughs> he made a deal. I, I tell you, what you know, what do you think about this guy? I mean, isn't he the best ever? I, I you know, I seen somebody come on. I don't know. It was Facebook. It was that Dave Mercer, and he actually did a pretty good job. I, I kind of liked him. He, he did a pretty did decent you? job. Yeah, but- I thought he sucked, but that was just... Did you? Uh, I mean, I didn't think it was too bad. I thought bad. he was terrible. I, I, I thought he was terrible. Did you? I, oh, man. Oh, yeah. Now you're being tough on him. No, I, I just did I just did not care for it. I thought... Didn't it, you? No. That's just I, my I mean, opinion. It didn't bother me. I, you know, I don't know. I myself personally wish they would have Fish Fishburn back, but that's a, that's a personal fre- preference, you know what I mean? Um, but I think okay. they should I, have Tommy Sanders and Zona do it. Yeah, I agree with you too. I I think they should have uh, Zona at least Zona do it. He he would be awesome on that. I I think he would be the <clears throat> ultimate you know thing. I thought the coverage was great though, as far as the way they did it and had it and covered everything. You actually got to see the um uh the after uh, interview of Kevin Van Dam, and then even later they had um, that Jeff Hall and a couple other guys talk about the classic after that. But I agree with you, Dennis. The man had to sell his soul to the devil or something. I, I mean, that but, guy is just unbelievable. Well, here's the here's the thing about it. I mean, I watched I watched the the Bass Tracker all day, and either somebody was lying to us, or I mean, it, it was coming out. He wasn't catching nothing. wasn't catching yeah, nothing. And all of a sudden, I, I caught wind of it that that, that he he got into him that afternoon and just really laid it on him. And they said he had a big bag, and sure enough, he came in. He had, you know, he's right there. Yeah. But it, they uh, post it. that and edit that to make it look like it's going to be somewhat close. I think well, they I mean, do that the, deliberately. The second day, I mean, it's over with. I mean, you know, yeah. everybody was fishing for a check after that. But one problem I had, I couldn't, I couldn't get to live feed. It would not play. It, it would come up. And it would play about thirty seconds, and it would. Lock up. I unloaded it, reloaded it, upgraded hmm. everything I could. I mean, oh, the way in. I I couldn't get the the way in at all. Oh, oh really? I I sat there and really watched the whole here. thing. I I brought it up to the full screen, and it, I think it did lock up on me once, and I just closed it out and came right back on it, and it was fine. It was fine. Well, I mean, I tried it on th- three different browsers, and nothing. Oh wow! I did it on Mozilla Firefox, and it seemed to go fine for me. So, well, see, that's that's what I had originally started off with was Firefox, and it kept saying I need a plugin, so I downloaded the plugin. Same thing, I unloaded everything, reloaded it. I mean, I was all over the place, uploading right. stuff and downloading it, and you know, and nothing. Then I swapped over to back to Internet Explorer, which I absolutely hate. And right. Oh yeah. Thing. I'm with you on that. And. You know, even tried Opera, which is it's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it, I don't know. It's it just I tried it on two different computers. And still can get it, huh? 
Couldn't mm. get it. I'm on Comcast, you know, high speed, and it just everything else working good except for that. Hmm. That's wild. Well, yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job, and I was kind of torqued on it because it wasn't on TV. And yeah, they no. did good. You yeah, know, they did. I mean, I loved that interview afterwards, the uh, press conference that they that did was really with good. Uh, Aaron Martins and um, and uh, Derek Rimmitz, and then they uh, and then or they brought DVD. Kevin on after that. You know, I kind of feel sorry for Aaron Martins. You know, I mean, that guy is just, you know, every time he's there at the top, it's KVD slamming him down, you know? He'll so. have his dick. He's a class angler. He's a class guy. Yeah, I want I want to try to talk to him. Maybe see if I can find him. I haven't found him on Facebook yet, so I'm I'm going to try to look him up and see if I can get him on. Uh, you know, it was so telling when then when Kevin Van Dam was on though. I, he may I be you, a tweeter, dude. Yeah, yeah, it could be. When all the other angle, and this is what really stood out to me. You know how you're, you were talking about him being the best there ever was. What stood out to me is when he talked about he noticed the change. And he said on day two, they were catching him on spinnerbaits the first day. But got into day two, he started noticing that they were starting to short strike his spinnerbait. So he, that's when he broke out the crankbait. He picked the uh, chartreuse with black, with the back, black back, um, slowed it down, and started catching more fish, putting it in the bank. He said he was doing this, watching Aaron Martins, who was the other guy that was there with him. Um, Scott Rook. Scott Rook, watching these guys fish the way they had been fishing. And that was burn, either burning the spinnerbait or burning the crankbait. Yep. And then he said he finally looked over at Scott Rook and he's yeah, like, I told him to slow down. Slow down. <clears throat> you know, and, and I mean, I think that part of Kevin Van Dam is the part that separates him from everybody else. Yeah. You know, sure. just, just that being able to take that before anybody else realizes what's going on. He's already realized what's going on. He's got it figured out and is catching fish again. You know, I mean, that, uh, you can't, you know, you can't, I mean, that, I guess that's not, I guess that's something you're born with. I, mean, you, you, I don't know if you can be taught that or not. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's just that killer instinct or what? what is that? Or, huh? That's it. That's an instinct. It's called having it. It. He's got right. it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, yeah. I got a kick out of some of these other guys that they were talking about, and they're using KBD's crankbaits. Right. Oh, That's yeah. Not, you know, yeah. They're, not, they're, not, they're no dummies. Yeah. Now you can't find them. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Bass Pro Shop sold out of all them one and a halves real quick. Yeah. Yeah. That That's typical. Everybody went out and bought the red-eyed shad last year when he won it on that, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, that it, it's it's the situation. That's not going to win you the next tournament, you know. I mean, you got to know when you're going to throw that bait. And he seems to know it better than everything else. You know, something here's, that, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go, go, here, go. Here's one of the things that I noticed this year. Mike Iconelli. Jeez, are we seeing Mike Iconelli grow up a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. I, that, yeah, that, I was impressed. He, he's still the same. 
I don't know pay his attention to me. He's still a wild man. Yeah, I, I but him. I mean, you know, when he said, when he talked about, you know, he said, I'm tired of being on the road all the time. I miss my family. Right. He just had a like, new baby, I think. And yeah, he yeah. did seem like a yeah. really, really kind of different than what you really notice him um, yeah. um, in the past. You know, something else I, I, I wanted to bring up about the classic and, and something that wasn't mentioned by a lot of people. And we're going to have him on the show next week so we can actually talk to him about it. But I picked him. And I will admit, I picked Dean Rojas. I go to see day one, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, he's caught two fish. And I thought, oh, man, he's out of it, you know? And then I come back, look at day two, and he makes the cut. I mean, is that, I mean, really, I thought that was unbelievable for him to be able to do that. To only catch two fish the first day, come back the second day, Make the cut and actually finish thirteenth place. Yeah, he did pretty good. He came he came back pretty good. Quite a few of those guys, you know that. Uh, once they got into him, you know, they did pretty good. There was definitely a two groups. You were either on it or boy, it was you were just terrible. Right. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of them guys. Go ahead, Dennis. Go ahead. I, I picked Rut. I picked Russ Lane, and, I mean, he zeroed the first day, but he, he ended up catching a big fish of the tournament, I believe. Yeah, it was 8.15, I believe, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Let's see here. I, I mean, got I, I think he was swinging for the fences. Wasn't even, you know, he's either going broke or going home. So I, I've got the final numbers here. Uh, let's go over them real quick. We got, you know, KVD, Kevin Van Dam at 69.11, which is a new Bassmaster uh, Classic record. That was pretty great. Aaron Martins, uh, a distant second place at with 59 even. Then Derek Rimmitz with 56-8. Brandon, I cannot pronounce, Pal, Pal, Palinuk. Yeah, Palinuk, 55, I think. 55-7. Brett Chapman at 54-8. Boyd Duckett, 53-2. Um... Scott Rook at 48.15, Todd Faircloth at 47.3, Bobby Lane at 45.9, and then Gary Klein at 45.6. Those were the uh, top 10. So that's a pretty good group of anglers. You know what I mean? I mean, every one of them there are pretty well known. So, But it's good to see Gary Klein, you know, the top 10. I mean, he... Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'd love to see that guy just win one. I, I think he just I needs mean, one so bad just to just to top his career off. I mean, you know, I think we talk fast act too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anytime you ever see him on T V he's always just you know, great. So have you seen the new uh Ken Van Dam commercial? Uh I'm not sure. I don't think so. I've been working and painting. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's a it's a fast pro shop and he's, he's sitting there fishing he said well he shows him talking he said you know how important it is to keep that favorite hole something like that keep it secret all of a sudden you hear boats coming and he drops his rod and he gets the hammer out and starts doing it and it's bill dance he's pulling around the bend and it's showing kevin van damme looks like he's on a pontoon boat not fishing it's yeah. hilarious oh yeah yeah is that yeah <laughs> okay i I have to see that I, I haven't seen that yet i'll, I'll definitely check that out that have you good. guys have you guys had a chance to read Don Brown's 
article about the angels and heroes about that uh, uh, the firefighter from Chicago that was with uh, uh, Swindle. No, you know, and I missed that in. part. I, I actually uh, missed that part. I, I I'll, got, I'll Facebook you a link to it. Great. Yeah, you yeah, gotta definitely read do that. Don Bro yeah, they, such an, uh, he's such a writer. He's the guy's he's crazy. Yeah. He is so good. He's so over the top. I just love him. But I got this link and I'll send it to you. You gotta read this story. So Great. Yeah. That that sounds good. I, I yeah, and like I said, I missed that part. I, I was a little. Uh, I seen uh, they kind of went back to it, but I'm, I'm sure they'll have it on this week uh, um, on ESPN two. I think they're starting at nine o'clock Saturday and going to eleven. Then it's ten o'clock Saturday night and then ten o'clock Sunday night. I think they're going to be replaying the whole classic weekend. So. It should be pretty good. I, I can't wait to see all the, you know, everything that was done. But what what can we say, though? You know, I guess KVD, the best there is, best there will be, I guess, for a while. Everybody, yeah, you know, I, yeah, yeah. Unless you know, one of us gets, one of the three of us gets rich enough that we can move <laughs> in there and face the classics. I don't know who's going to beat him. <laughs> yeah, um, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch an open. They're going to have, have a Southern Open on Douglas. Now, my debate is, it's in June 2nd. My debate is, dude, as, you know, I was talking to a family member, and he's like, and because I told him, I said, I'll just go ahead and fish it as a non-boater because I can afford that. Right. He said, yep. no, he said, you got to do it as a boater. I don't know. It's just a lot of money to throw down there. And somebody like that will come in and fish it just so they can qualify for a classic. Right, right. Yeah. How much is that going to run you, to, if you don't mind me asking, to even be a it, non-boater? Non-boater is not too bad. I think it's 350 Wow. But as a boater, it's it's uh, 1200 Wow. Wow. I don't wish, you know, something could happen on that. I, I, You know, it's just so weird that, you know, I mean, any other sport, you don't have to pay to get in. You know what I mean? Uh, I, you know, but then again, it's kind of like that in disc golf too, though. You got to pay to play. So I don't know. I, I just always wondered about that. It just seems like, but I guess it's the only way to guarantee that they're going to get some money out of the deal. So how much does it cost to get into the classic? Do you know, Dennis, off the top of your head? Uh, I think if you qualify, it doesn't cost you anything. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. It's about $150,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I guess a part of it, I mean, I guess when you're at that level, you're you're probably going to have a sponsor pay for it anyway. And then, you know, every one of those guys that got up there, I've got to mention my sponsor, you know, which you can't blame them. I mean, that's how they're yeah. making their money. That's how they're they're making their living, you know. Well, it's, I read somewhere like, I don't know, this was last year or something, that like uh, that Jason, is it, was it Jason Quinn? Yeah. His name? I mean, he makes like him and Marty Stone both. And I think Jason hadn't—he may have won one since then, but he hadn't won a major bass event. But he make, the guy makes like six hundred thousand dollars just off the sponsorships alone. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, that and if they can do that, and you know, and if they can manage to get in there, fish a lot of events and get in there on points, you know. Yeah. Right. You, and you still got to be able to catch fish. Yeah, yeah, you still do. But you man. don't have to win. I mean, yeah. 
you well, fish you quite know, a few events, and you come in and get a couple, three top tens, and right. you know a couple twenties and top twenties. Hell, you're in. Yeah, I mean, because there's there's many of these fishermen out here that you know haven't won, but they're still making a pretty good living off it. You know, I mean, Joe Thomas. I mean, he's won a few tournaments, but you know, he hasn't won the big one yet. And man, look at him. He he makes that's that's he makes a living off of it. So I you know. And it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome that these guys can do that. So maybe one day we'll make a living off of this show, huh? <laughs> yeah, you never know, buddy. Yeah, you never, you know. never know. I don't know. I just enjoy doing it. So That's our show for tonight. I want to thank Tim Cook from the Texas Bass Federation Nation for stopping by and talking conservation with us tonight. Remember, everybody, get out there, support guys like Tim. Because they're out there fighting for our rights to hunt, fish, and do all the outdoor stuff that we do. Also, thank you to Kyle, Dennis. Great job, once again. Appreciate it. You know it. Alright, next week's show. Big show. We're going to have Dean Rojas on here. The Frogman himself. We're going to talk about his world record one-day catch, his classic performance, and a whole bunch more. All next week at 9 p.m. March 2nd. Well, this is Steve. For everybody here at Bass and More Talk Radio, have a great night and be safe. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.